Welcome to Firm Foundation Ministries Podcast. We hope it encourages you and inspires you to live out the purpose God has for your life. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. So with with that being said, turn with me in your Bibles to Joshua chapter 3. Joshua chapter 3, verse 5. So we're in this sermon series called Breaking the Cycles, and this week is part 6. Sorry, be patient with me. We had some technical difficulties, but we still got a word to preach. So we've been going through this series, Breaking the Cycles, and we've been breaking cycles of many different things. We've been breaking the cycles of of, of anxiety. We've been breaking the cycles of, of sadness and loneliness. We've been breaking the cycles of, of living in the ordinary. God wants to break that. And last week, uh, Don talked about how breaking the cycle of routine is needed in our lives. And routine, the thing about routine, we see good in it, but the truth is routine has the potential of le- letting us live a half-hearted life. Amen. That's what routine does. It gives me enough security to keep me comfortable, or it keeps me in a cycle of just wandering throughout life without a purpose. But God wants to break the cycle of routine in our lives and leave us less than who we should be, and He wants to make us a crossover people. So we're going to continue in the next cycle that God wants to break today. So we're going to go ahead and read Joshua 3, verse 5 through 8. It says this, Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua said to the priest, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on before the people. So they took up the Ark uh, ark of the Covenant and went before the people. The Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And as for you, command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, when you bring, come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. Let's pray. Father, bless the reading of the Word. Let it be the hearing of our ear and the receiving of our hearts. God, your presence is amazing. And I pray that you just continue to be with us today. In Jesus' name, everyone said? Have you ever met someone whose condition didn't seem to match their position? Let me give you an example. Tabloids begin to report the party lifestyle of an upcoming prince who's going to soon be king one day, right? Or we see it all the time, some megastar celebrity we see on Instagram or, or on the news that they're struggling with the basics of life, the basics of just not being dumb, but they have all the resources in life to be successful, right? The, the condition doesn't seem to match the position that they're in. And we know that heaven doesn't have social media, but if the angels would have Instagram and Facebook and they'd be looking down at our lives, would they be shaking their heads because our condition didn't match our position? Because as, as easy it may be for us to judge the celebrities who have all the resources possible to live a great life, but they're not doing that. They're not taking advantage of their position. We need to remember that, one, we're human, just like them. And if we had a camera going around chasing our lives at 17 years old, we probably would be just as dumb as those on the news. And the second thing we need to remember is that we ourselves, we represent a kingdom. 
And we are walking through the kingdom of God as a royal priesthood. So we have a position that may seem much more than you expect. For 40 years, the Israelites lived in despair and defeat in the wilderness. We've been, we've been walking through the Old Testament, this journey with Moses and now Joshua. We see the pain that they've gone through for over 40 years. They were faithless, fruitless, and failed to realize God's plan for their lives. Nevertheless, in one day's time, they were transformed from wandering through the wilderness to now winning wars for God and walking through waters of victory. Significant and mighty things happen to this nation of Israel. Likewise, some of us, we've been wandering for years. This is why this sermon series is important. Many of us here today, we've been living in the desert, wandering in circles, circle after circle. We've been living with a desert diet, and we've been feeling deprived. Maybe that's you this morning. We haven't come to that place of full victory that we're watching in testimony videos. But just as the, it, the people of Israel were changed and were able to cross the Jordan, conquer Jericho, and find victory in the land of Canaan and the promised land, you and I as well have an opportunity to experience the same victory in Jesus Christ. And it is available today. Now here in Joshua 3, we're in the brink of a miracle. God is about to do something special. He's about to, spoil alert, he's about to split the Jordan as he did to the Red Sea. Nothing new. Just God pouring out miracles. So we're about to see this miracle happen. But here's why Breno's message is important today. Pastor Don, he'll take care of the, of the miracle next week. But here's why today is important. We're about to experience another miracle. But this part of the story highlights an a very important ingredient to encountering God, and that is preparation. Everyone say preparation. What a word. We do a lot of prep work in our life. A lot of preparing. We have this AWAKE conference coming up in two weeks. We're super excited, but I'm really freaking out. I have no idea what in the world I'm doing. And I learned, Holly Gens has been reminding me and my mom that there's a lot of preparing I need to do. I, if it was me, I'm just like, let's just all show up and God will take care of the rest. But no, we got registration. But no, we, we got early registration. Then we got the normal registration. And then we got the payment. But then we have issues with PayPal. So now we have to fix up that. And then now we have to get a registration table, right? And that's just only registration. How about volunteer teams, Reno? What's the schedule? Because me, I'm not a scheduled guy. I'm a go with the flow type of guy. There's a lot of preparing that I've had to do in, this, in the recent, recent months, and it's been really good. Whatever it is, we have all different types, but it's crazy how we do so much preparation for one day. Baby, how many months did we spend preparing for a wedding? Colton, Amy, how long did it take for y'all to prepare for that wedding? And let me ask you, do you even remember that day? It just flew by. The wedding flies by, but we spend hours preparing. Months. Hopefully not years. Let's, let's do less than a year. But man, there's a, isn't it crazy how we do so many preparations as humans for a one-day event? We do so much pre preparation for a moment. But we need to have the same importance in our walk with God. 
Because we just try to show up to the move of God, and we say, let's see what happens. We just try to show up. It's about, okay, God, I've, I've changed nothing in my life, but hey, I need you to show up and show out. No, there's a preparation process that needs to happen in our walk with God, especially encountering the miracle. So as we go through this story in, in Joshua 3, I just want to stay put in verse 5. So verse 5 says what? Then Joshua said to people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. So for a moment, let's talk about the requirements for miracles. So just now I talked about our condition and our position. Our condition matters. As we see here, Joshua says, consecrate yourselves. Everyone say consecrate. What does this mean? We don't hear this word often. But consecrate means to sanctify ourselves, to to be set apart, to be sacred, to be holy. The word holy means to be set apart, right? Set apart in the presence of God, offering our lives to Him, sanctifying ourselves. That's what consecration means. A holy God needs a holy people if He's going to do great and mighty things among them. And we see this all through Scripture, like, for example, in Exodus 19, we see consecration, the process of consecration happening in two ways. We see God telling Moses to tell the people, consecrate yourselves by washing your clothes, right? We see washing clothes is important. High schoolers, washing clothes is important. All the youth leaders said amen. Later, we see in chapter 19, it says the consecration of abstaining from intimate relationships for this segment of time is important. So we see God always coming to his people and saying, hey, it's time to consecrate ourselves. It's time that you prepare yourself for what I'm about to do. I need you to be ready for my miracle working power. And it's time for the church to consecrate itself and for us to set our lives aside for the special use of God. And that's what God is calling us to do. He's positioning us to experience wonders. But why is consecration important? Why do we need to consecrate ourselves? Before we get to the miracle, God has to deal with the condition of our heart. I don't know if you've noticed yet in your walk with God, but He cares about your heart. He cares about your attitude. He cares about the thoughts you have. And He wants to prepare us and prepare our hearts for what He's about to do. He gives us instructions, instructions that would make them and us now cross over people. God won't accept an unclean offering. We see this all through Scripture. That God, He cares about the offering that we give to Him. He cares about it. So, in in other words, let me say it like this. God can't work through someone who's unwilling to change and surrender their life. He can't. He wants to. But my question this morning is, are you willing to be willing? Are you willing to put in the work of consecrating yourself and setting yourself apart to be used by God? Because God, He doesn't need, He already has all the tools, He already has all the resources needed to use you and to give you a great life and to use you for His glory and honor. So that must mean there's something that we got to work in our own heart. Is God waiting for you to, to consecrate and surrender that pride that you've had for years? What if that's the only blockage from you being used today? 
Maybe it's your victim spirit. Maybe you, you've been such a victim in your life that you're not stepping into anything with confidence or courage. Maybe God's trying to break that in you. And we find this through consecration. We need to consecrate and sanctify ourselves in every area of our life. Our hearts, we need to consecrate them. Our minds, we need to consecrate them. Our homes, we need to consecrate them. Every area of our lives in the sight of Almighty God. Every area, whatever it is, coming to God and saying, God, I give this area of my life to you. Search my heart. Know my thoughts and show me what I got to do to change. But the sad thing is many believers don't even get to this point in their walk with God. Because many of us don't even think about being set apart because we think God is only useful when we are falling apart. Oh, let's stay there really quick. Let's stay there, church. We're going to talk about it. Many of us don't even get to the place of being set apart for God because we only think God is useful when we're falling apart. In other words, many of us treat God like a spare tire. Oh, we're going to talk about it this morning. We got the spare tire in our trunk, and we going through the highway of life, and boom, we get fired. Boom, we go through a breakup. We go through heartbreak. We go through one thing that happens. So what do we do? We go get the spare tire. Lord, I need you. Come and, come and invade in my marriage. God, I need a miracle right now. I need you right now. So, of course, God being the provider that he does, what does he do? He comes through like he always does. But then what do we do? We use the spare tire until we get to the shop. And what do we do? We put the spare tire back in the trunk. Thanks for helping out, big guy. I really needed it. Now I'm going to just continue to live out my life the way I want to because I'm in charge. Because he's just a spare tire. But here's the thing about a spare tire, church. A spare tire was never created to be a permanent fix. So if you're treating God like a spare tire, that must mean that in your heart you don't believe that God is the permanent fix. So that must mean that God, he cannot be in a place of a, of a, of a spare tire. He got to be in the front seat of that car. And saying, God, you are, you're in control of the driving. So if you're in control of the driving, not only are you in charge of where we're going, but you're in charge of, of all the, the, the flat tires that are going to happen. I don't need to worry because you're going to take care of it. But there's a surrender that has to come first. It's not a healthy place in your walk with God to presume his grace and his mercy and his greatness. We should not presume what he can do because we'll never be, live in a place with gratitude. We'll never live in a place of humility. Preparation of the miracle is crucial, is crucial also because when you truly prepare your heart for the miracle, you begin to realize that the greatest blessing isn't the work of God, but simply God himself. And this is where we get it twisted, because we think God is just some superhero, your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man ready to save your marriage. But here's the thing, Spider-Man, he don't care about the hearts. He's not trying to have a relationship with each and every person that he saves. But God, he wants to have a relationship with you. That's why he keeps, he keeps making a way in your life. Why do you think every time you're about to really fall and every time you're really about to screw up and then all of a sudden, God comes and makes a way? It's because he wants relationship with you. Because here's the, here's the important part about this. Miracles are great, but I can't have a relationship with a miracle. A supernatural event 
when God comes and he moves, he invades here in the church. I love a supernatural event, but I can't have relationship with event. In the same way, you have a wedding to celebrate your marriage, but I can't have a relationship with a, with a wedding. I have a relationship with my wife. So in the same way, we need to be in a place of receiving the miracle, not as the only thing that I give my life to, but simply as a reflection and proof that my God is good and that I need to have a relationship with him. That's the point of a miracle. And let me tell you two reasons why you need to be in this place understanding the miracle of God. Because one, it it keeps us in a place of humility. Because when you just live a life waiting for a miracle to happen, pride begins to come in. And entitlement begins to come in. Because when God makes a way, what's your attitude? Finally, about time. I mean, I've been showing up three times a month at church. About time you showed up. And then entitlement begins to come in. And then now we begin to have entitlement issues with every relationship in our life. Why? Because it started with God. You begin to realize that everyone thinks you're a jerk and that you're just some prideful guy that, that just thinks he's better than anyone. It started with your relationship with God. Because wherever your relationship with God is, the rest will just fall and it will follow. Just as so. But when you live a life and say, I'm not crying out for a miracle, I'm crying out for a relationship with God, you receive that miracle with gratitude because you understand that you don't deserve a miracle. Let me just break your pride bubble. You don't deserve God to make a way. We didn't deserve him to come and die on the cross and save us from our sins. We didn't deserve it. So with that, when I begin to realize that I don't deserve God, but he still comes and makes a way, what does that give me? Gratitude. So I throw up my hands and praise you again and again, because I did not deserve for you to save my marriage. I did not deserve for you to come and make a way in my addiction, but you did anyways. Thank you, God. That's why preparing our hearts for the heart of God is important. Here's the second reason why it's important. Because it grows our trust in God instead of putting our trust in a miracle. Here's why, here, this is a heartbreaking reason, heartbreaking reason why many people walk away from God. Because they have that family member that's in the hospital and they need a miracle. Their financial state is bad. A pandemic hits and now they need a miracle. But then what gets dangerous as many people begin to put all of their weight on a miracle, all of their weight on God doing what we want him to do. But the hard question to answer is, what if the miracle doesn't happen? Is your weight on anything else? Or is all of your weight just on a moment hoping that you'll make a way? Because then, if you put all your weight on a miracle, on a miracle of your family member getting healed, but then they did get healed, but now they're with Jesus. Do you have, are you standing on any foundation, on any trust that God is still good? This is why this is important, because we're talking about some real stuff right now. For someone to lose a family member and to still say God is good, that's the, that's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen in my life is when I've experienced a friend of mine or or a family member of mine pray for a miracle, 
pray for something to happen and it didn't happen the way they wanted, but for them to say, God, you're greater than that, that moment. You're going to use this for your glory and honor. And I know that all things are called to good to those who love me and called according to your purpose. Wow, that is beautiful. And that is a place that we need to live in, in our lives. And I pray that God will move his church today into the promised land of abundance, blessing, and victorious living. Because let me tell you something about God. There is no physical, political, social, or spiritual power that can stop the church from possessing its inheritance in Jesus Christ. But God, he is waiting for a consecrated bride who will be ready for his miraculous return. And a sobering question I ask, the leaders here ask, and you should ask as well is, is God looking down at Firm Foundation Ministries in Centerville and saying, they're ready for Jesus. They're ready for my son's return. They're consecrating themselves. They're preparing themselves for the wedding day at the end. That's why preparation is important. You guys still with me? So we're going to keep going. Now we're going to talk about position. Turn to your neighbor and say position. I know my moment to take a drink of water. So our position is important. Our position in the miracle, it begins and ends at Jesus. Let me explain. When we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we've gained a new position. Right? At work, you get that email. Congratulations. Your new position is ABC. You tried for the football team. All right, congrats. You made it to the team. This is your position, right? There is, an, there is importance in position because it's le- it lets us know where we stand and it gives us ground to work with. Okay, this is my position. Sounds good. I'm going to work with this right here. I want to read this really quick in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 9 through 11. Listen to Paul's words to a flawed church in Corinth. It says this, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexual immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, wow, they did a lot of sinning, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but here's the good news, but you were washed you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. What news we can celebrate with? Because he should have just added me to that list, right? Nor drunkards, nor those who struggle with greed, nor Breno, nor Eddie, nor Doug. It, it, the list could have went on forever. And we are in that list, but then it says, but you were washed, You were sanctified. You were justified by the blood of Jesus. Because we see here, the church in Corinth, it was a septic tank of evil. Yo, like, we see this in Scripture, but God washed them clean. They weren't perfect in their condition, but they were holy in their position in Christ. Their position is what sanctified them and justified them to live in victory and freedom. Consecrating ourselves is where it begins, like we said, but then committing our lives to Jesus in the power of his blood, that's what makes us holy. 
When you accept Jesus, you find this position. Now, let me talk about our condition. So we see our position is in Christ. But our part in the process is to grow in Jesus so that our condition increasingly matches our position. Let me give you an example. Like I said, right, you, you apply for a certain job or you get interviewed at your, own, at your own job for a higher position. As we all know, just because someone has a certain position doesn't mean they're going to have the greatest condition. Have you ever had a boss and said, and you thought in your mind, you, you didn't say it because you're a Christian, right? But you, you, you had a certain boss or someone, a supervisor, and you're like, how in the world did they get that position? They show up late. They have no character. They make fun of, like, they drink all the water at break. Like, what? How did they get this position? We've all thought it, right? Maybe it's something on the news. Like, we see someone has a high position and whatever it is, and like, how did they get there? So even to have that thought process proves to me that even though you get a certain position, it's up to you how you take care of your condition. Let me read some verses. Ephesians 4 verse 1 says, walk worthy of the calling you have received. Romans 6 19 says, just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness leading to holiness. I love this verse because Paul's saying, just as you were a slave to sin, where you bowed down your whole life and surrendered your whole life to sin, now you will be a slave to righteousness. So now you surrender your life to righteousness. I love that verse. Lastly, Ephesians 4, 22 to 24, it says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by his deceitful desires, to, made, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So when we accept Jesus Christ, we have an opportunity to what? Be slaves to righteousness, walk worthy of our calling, and to put on the new self. Let me ask you something. Have you been putting on the new self, or are you still living in the old self? That is the question, because there is a call to holiness and righteousness in our lives. I hate it to break it to you, but now that we know the truth about Jesus, we have an expectation that we got to live out of. Remember when you were growing up as a child, and there were different things that you did where your parents were like, okay, they didn't know. Here's your warning. But that second time, me and my dad had an agreement that if I did something the second time, I'm getting the belt, period. We had this agreement. And in the same way, Scripture talks about when, you open, when your eyes are open to the truth, there's now a new expectation. And we have to take this with ownership in our walk with Jesus, but here's the problem. Many of us misuse grace. Many of us misuse mercy. And now we don't see grace as a gift. We see grace as an excuse to live how we want. All right, hallelujah, I made it to a service, and now I can live however I want because of the grace of God. But that's not what the grace of God is. As a matter of fact, the grace of God is actually a doorway, a gateway to walking new in Christ. 
The grace of God gives you and I the gift to run to Jesus when we sin, to run to Jesus when we mess up. It's not an excuse because here's another truth we got to remember. We are saved by the blood of Jesus, right? By the blood that was shed on that cross, you and I have freedom. But the blood doesn't change the fact that sin is sin. Think about it. What Jesus did on the cross doesn't change the fact that evil is still evil and wrong is still wrong. But for some reason, we get tempted to start thinking like this. Oh, now because the blood of Jesus, my sin is now excused, but I can still do it though because of the blood. I can sleep with whoever I want to because of the blood. I can say whatever I want to with disrespect because of the blood. I can do gossip. I can do drama with anyone about anything, anywhere because of the blood. But let me tell you something. There's no sacrifice in that. It says it in Hebrews. This is so important. And I know we quiet this morning about this, but it's the truth. And we don't say this out of condemnation. We don't say this out of shame. We say this with alertness and with victory and saying, hey, when I got saved, when I truly grabbed a hold of who God was in my life, when I, when I really tapped into the Holy Spirit, there was a shift that happened. I began saying no to things that I used to say yes. I began running away from things that I used to walk into. But it doesn't change the fact that sin is still sin and that we still struggle as humans. This, this wasn't in my notes, but I got to talk about this. Have you ever been frustrated that you got saved, you have the Holy Spirit now, but you're still tempted? I'm going to be honest, I was frustrated. I thought that once I started speaking tongues, or once I joined the worship team, or once I preached my first sermon, I would never be tempted to go watch porn ever again. But that didn't happen. Like, here is a reality that we need to grasp, and we, need, we, we cannot be afraid, afraid to talk about. We are justified, we are sanctified, we are washed clean, but there is a decision-making that needs to happen in our lives. And let me tell you what deliverance really means. So I've said this before, I'm delivered uh, from pornography and from sexual sins, those things. I have a pure marriage with my wife. God has set me free. But can I be honest this morning? I'm still tempted. Temptation is still real. And I, if I act like an idiot, if I start not seeing her as a gift, if I run away from Christ, I could easily run back to my old ways. Because I'm still what? Human. Because I have a what? A flesh. But let me tell you something. Deliverance is... I'm not attracted anymore. Deliverance is I've been changed. And yes, that doorway is over there, but I'm choosing not to walk in that doorway anymore because the grace of God, the blood of Jesus Christ has set me free forever. And I have a new life in Christ. That's what deliverance is. So don't be discouraged when you're still tempted. Don't be discouraged that you still have that flesh that is hungry for that old sin. Congratulations. You're still human. Instead, tap into the Holy Spirit in that moment because one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit is what? Self-control. So if self-control is a fruit, that must mean there will be moments in my life that I struggle with self-control. But by the grace of God, He gives me the strength to say no to sin. 
not my power, not by my strength, but by his spirit, says the Lord. That's what real deliverance looks like. So the change of our position is found in Christ, but the change in our condition is found in our choices. Now, this is where the rubber meets the road. This is where you have to begin to ask yourself some hard questions. Is there a habit in your life that is hindering you from the work of Christ? Is there a good habit that you're not doing because of carelessness and laziness? How is your relationship with Jesus? These are questions that we all must ask because your desire for godliness and righteousness, your desire for prayer, your desire for worship, your desire for fasting, your desire to tap into the Holy Spirit will dictate whether you live your life as a slave or as a soldier. How you, how serious you are about Christ and reading the Word and calling yourself a man or a woman of God will determine whether you live your life as a victim or a victor. I need to make the decision each and every day that I'm a man of God and I'm not a slave to, a, to sin no more. And yes, I'm going to face trials. I'm going to face battles today. The devil's going to try to pull me down today, but I rebuke him and say no to him because I know who I am in Christ and he's given me the strength to have victory. Hallelujah. So our position in Christ, it was a gift, but our condition in Christ is up to us. You guys still with me? I believe God is doing a work in our hearts this morning. I believe God wants to change you today. I truly believe it. My next point today is tomorrow's hope. Tomorrow's hope. Turn to your other neighbor and say, tomorrow's hope. You guys are great. I love you. So the promise of God is clear. If we consecrate ourselves, the Lord will do wonders among us. We see this in Joshua 3 verse 5, our first verse. What does it say? Tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Let's just take a moment to put ourselves in the shoes of the Israelites. How powerful was this moment? They've been wandering for 40 years. They've lost children. They've lost spouses. They've lost parents. And all of a sudden, you hear God say, tomorrow, I'm going to do wonders among you. Think about the hope that began to rise in their hearts. Tomorrow? Like, 24 hours from now, tomorrow? Yes. Tomorrow, God is going to do wonders among you. This is what he says to the Israelites and Joshua in this moment. He's about to do a miracle. So let's talk about miracles, though, real quick. You will not have any problems dealing with miracles if you believe in God, right? We're, we're believers of God. We're believers of the Word. So we come into worship and we sing about miracles, right? Miracle worker. We believe it. But there's a lot of people out there or even in here that struggle with this concept of miracles. We all know somebody that they struggle with miracles. You know, some say God is a prisoner to the laws of nature. However, one, they are not the laws of nature. They are the, they are the laws of God. And two, God is not in a prison to the laws of nature. God is not in prison to something he created. God can do, here's the thing, we need to all grasp and just sigh and say yes to, God can do whatever he wants 
when he wants, however he wants. Because he's God. Like, he's God. As we study in Scripture, and as you study in theology, you begin to see that God is omnipresent. That means God is at all places at all times. Just as God is with us here this morning, he's with our friends in FFM Pawpaw. He's in Indiana. He's with my family members in Brazil. He's in China right now. God is at all places at all times. Scripture also teaches us that God is omniscient, meaning all-knowing. So God knows our thoughts. God knows our ways. God knows what we're going to do tomorrow. He knows all things. We see that all through Scripture. And lastly, Scripture says that God is omnipotent, meaning all-powerful. There is nothing in the cosmos or this world or this universe that is more powerful than God. So if God is all-powerful, that must mean that no one is in charge of God. So if no one is in charge of God, that must mean that he's not submitted to anything, including the laws of nature. Nothing can hinder him, nothing. But then still, people will still hear that and say, but we, but we have a problem with miracles because we don't get it. We don't get it. We don't understand fully how God does what he does. I don't understand this whole Christian thing. I don't get everything in there. I read the Bible and I'm confused. I hear about these miracles. I don't know how really he made a way. So I don't want to tap into that. I, I, I want to have nothing to do with that. But let me ask you a question this morning, church. I need, I need your participation. You guys ready? Raise your hand if you have ever turned on a light. Most of us. You've walked in a dark room, right? What's the first thing you do? You turn on a light. No matter how many times you've been in your bedroom, you need to turn on the light, right? Okay, so for those of you who raise your hands if, if you've turned on a light, raise your hand if you're an electrician. We have how many? We have two three, four, five, six. They're slowly coming up. So we have about almost 10 electricians in the room. All right, so those, those six, seven, eight guys who raised their hand, raise your hand if every test you've done to be an electrician, you passed 100% on all the tests. Okay. Man, put, put y'all's hands down. Okay, so we have some electricianists in the room who missed a couple answers on their tests. So that means to those guys, even though you, you are electricians, you don't understand fully how electricity works, right? Can you humbly agree to that? Like, you, you know how to do the colors with the lights and everything. You see, my, you see my knowledge of electricity. But you can agree that you don't have the totality of what electricity is, right? So all of us in this room have proven that we can't fully understand electricity. But that doesn't mean we don't turn on the light. Right? We still, what, turn on the light when we walk in a dark room. There's none of us, we never walk into a dark room and say, I'm not going to turn on that light because I still have no idea what it means to be an electrician. I'm going to try to get to the fridge without hitting the couch. We never think this way. We never have this mindset. But when it comes to God, though, we begin to. When it comes to miracles, 
we begin to. We begin to think, I have no idea. I'm, I'm so confused every time I read the Bible, I want nothing to do with that religion. I see people preaching about miracles, but I have no idea. I, there's no way God can work in that way. I don't, I don't want to believe in that stuff. But we need to come to the realization that we will never, I repeat, we will never fully understand the ways of God. You confused about the Bible? I'm confused about the Bible, and I'm preaching from it today. Every day I open up the Word, I'm like, oh, what does this mean? And I go to a scholar like Dave Campbell, and he's like, that's a good question. What does that mean? Let me, let me give some people some peace. If you've been in this place where you're like, I'm afraid to take the next step because I'm just, I have no idea about the Bible. There's, Paul actually talks about in the New Testament that he says, the more I begin to learn, the more I realize I have no idea. Why? Because God is omnipotent. And I don't know about you, but I want to serve a God that I can't fully understand. Because that means he has resources I don't have. Come on, church. He has capabilities that I don't have. He has strength where I have weakness. He has, he has grace where I have nothing to give. That's the type of God I want to serve. And we need to come to realize that our finite minds cannot fully comprehend the infinite abilities of an almighty God. And this is what God does in our lives, church. God has designed a will, and he wants to show the world he is still alive among his people. Let's go back to that verse. For tomorrow, the Lord will do wonders among you. I know that th that needs to hit somebody right now. Tomorrow, the Lord will do wonders among you. Some of you guys have been in a 40-year wilderness of abuse. Some of us here, we've been a four, in a 40-year wilderness of just chaos in every relationship we've had. We've been searching. We've been hoping. But some of us, even sadly, have begun to lose hope because of the 40 years. We just get tired. We get tired of praying. We get tired of singing the same songs every week. We get tired of showing up to service because everybody else got a testimony video, but I don't. Why don't I have a video yet? We begin to lose hope. Let me tell you something. If there was any group of people to lose hope and feel alone were the Israelites who were wandering for 40 years. But what does Scripture say? Consecrate yourselves for what? For tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Let me encourage somebody today. I don't know how weak you may be, but I know how wonderful he is. I don't know how many problems you're facing, but I know how powerful he is. Because here's the truth about my God. He has more solutions than we have problems. He has more answers than we have questions. He has more strength 
then we have heaviness. And understand this, church, the manifesting power of God is is a simple reflection of who he is being perfect, almighty, and good because God desires to break in and break through to show us his power and his glory. And when I begin to read this and hear this and believe this, knowing this gives me the confidence to say that I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I know who holds tomorrow. I don't know how I'm going to get out of this, but I know I'm getting out. My hope is in the one who split the sea, the one who opened up the river, and the one who broke the walls of my bondage like he did in Jericho. And I just need someone to be encouraged. What if you're one prayer away from breakthrough? What if you're one worship song away from a miracle? What if you're one day away? Tomorrow is closer than you think. I just need somebody. I just need one person to have some confidence and say, I'm not done praying. I'm not done worshiping. I'm not done praising because tomorrow is coming, church. Tomorrow is coming. It is coming. He is on the move, and he's going to do something in your life. Don't lose hope. Do not lose heart. Tomorrow is coming. Amen? We see this miracle-working power in our Father. So as we read in verse 4, it says, you may know the way by which you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. So we see different reasons for miracles. In miracles, as we study Scripture, miracles always preceded almost every Old and New Testament time when the Lord did something new among his people. Whenever we see in Scripture God doing something new, we first see him call his people to a process of consecration and then encountering a miracle. And then we also see Joshua 3 verse 7 later on. It says, the Lord said to Joshua, today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. We see here that God is affirming Joshua's leadership. So we also see God when he moves in miracles, he affirms to the world that he takes care of his people. Because let me tell you something, the miracles, they do something to people in the world. For those who don't have a relationship with Christ, when they see a miracle in your life, like when they see you and they're like, okay, he used to be high all the time, and now he's not, and he's actually doing great, okay? Like, I just had a five-minute convo with Jim Bob, and he did not cuss once. That's crazy. Like, because of the transformation that happens in our lives, it is a testimony of God's work in our lives. So we need to, we need to talk about our miracles. We need to have more testimony videos. We need to share about the goodness of God because God, just as he's telling him, just as I was with Moses, I'm going to be with you. God is telling us in our community, just as I was with Brian and Melinda Sneed, I'm going to be with you. Just as I was with Doug and Nancy, I'm going to be with you. Just as he was with Breno, he's going to be there with me. We see this, and the world needs to be shown the fact that the Word of God is real, that the Word of God is relevant, and that it's resourceful, and that God will help strengthen, save, and heal all who trust in his word. And lastly, we see the rewards of miracles. I love this part. We see in Joshua 3, 13 to 15, we see, so 
Don's going to share about this more next week, but we see that when the priests, the Levites, stepped into the Jordan River, the waters stood up in a heap, right? The waters were stopped even past the city of Adam. The priests went into the middle of the mighty Jordan River. Then every man, woman, boy, and girl passed through the divided river. And as they passed through the river, where did they find the Ark of the Covenant? Now, for those who don't know the story, the Ark of the Covenant was being carried all throughout this segment. And the Ark of the Covenant is simply the representation of the presence of God. That's what the Ark of the Covenant was in this time. They would carry the presence of God. Now, we see here in Scripture that Joshua calls these leaders and these priests to take the Ark of the Covenant into the river. And where was this ark? The ark was in the deepest part of the river. From this right here, it reminds me simply that in the deepest, darkest times when we feel all alone, the Lord Jesus can be more real to us than ever before. Because let me remind you, the journey of healing will bring up problems, but His presence will be with you. The first steps of sobriety It's going to be terrible. There's going to be a lot of pain, but the presence of God will be with you. The journey that it takes to heal a marriage is hard. It's difficult, but the presence of God will be with you. I know that in this journey of anxiety and depression and maybe going to counseling, you're going to have to step out of your comfort zone and be vulnerable, but the presence of God will be with you. Let me encourage you today. The presence of God will be with you in your darkest moment and it will feel like nobody's there. It will feel like you're all alone, but you can trust that God's presence will be with you in that moment. Amen? Won't you guys go ahead and stand with me to your feet? The presence of God is powerful, church, and what's crazy about this story is that every person passed through the river on the way to Canaan. Every person must pass through that river, It's a call for everyone. And if we want to enter the land of abundance, if we want to conquer Jericho, we must first cross our Jordan River. So to give you guys an understanding of where we are in Scripture, this is Joshua 3. And in Joshua 2, we see the spies checking out the land, right, where they encounter Rabbi, Rahab. Remember that? And now we see that the the Jordan River is about to split so they can continue. And then then we're going to see in chapter 6, the fall of Jericho, where they march around, they march around, they march around. And a detail from this story was so interesting to me that for 40 years, the Israelites, what did they do? They wandered in circles. And then years later, When God tells them to go to Jericho, what do they do? They wander around, they march around and around until the walls fell. And a season full of complaining was actually a season full of preparation for God to use them to see a miracle. Through God's miraculous power, we are able to reach out by faith. 
and claim the promises of his word. And the river became the door to the promised land. And just as God took them through the river by his miraculous power, so he will also take us into the promised land of the victorious Christian life. I don't know what you're facing today. I don't know what season you're going through currently. But I know that God is still a God of miracles. And that he wants to do a miracle in your life today. Like we talked about, there may be some work to do. Maybe, maybe you got to go home and delete some apps. Maybe you got to go home and call somebody. Maybe you got to go home and have a conversation with your spouse. Because really, that's the point of what we do here on Sundays. Like, my sermon won't change your life. Like, Don can preach to us for the next 60 years, but unless we go home and begin to bring change into our life, nothing's going to happen. So that's my greatest encouragement to us this morning. What's your next step? I want to take a couple minutes for us to ponder on this. What's next? How are you going to prepare yourself for the miracle next? And I just want to take a moment to acknowledge the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God, because he's in this place. So for the next couple minutes, we're not going to sing a song. We're simply going to seek him. So do whatever you have to do right now in a posture of receiving God. Maybe it's closing your eyes, bowing your head. Maybe it's opening up your arms to receive something. Maybe it's coming to this altar as like a child. Maybe it's going to a friend to ask for prayer, whatever it is, just place yourself right now in a posture of receiving. Place yourself in a posture of consecration, a posture of setting yourself apart. Coming to the presence of God and saying, God, here we are. We want more of you, Father. God, you are good. This is a holy moment, church. Talk to him. Talk to your father. Like we said, you can't have a relationship with a miracle. You can only have a relationship with a father. We love you, God. We praise you, Jesus. You're good, God. No matter the circumstance, you're good no matter the, the difficulty, the situation, you're good, God. We acknowledge your presence in this place. You're holy, God. Change us, Father. Renew our minds, God. Help us in this battle against sin and against the flesh.